Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Celebrate the holiday season with the Holiday Crush. They've sprinkled candy with a holiday theme and fun-packed challenges every week for five whole weeks, finishing on January 4th. The more challenges you complete, the better your chances of unwrapping delicious rewards. So, are you ready to crush the holidays? Play the Holiday Crush now. Download it from the App Store, Google Play, or Windows Store for free. Terms and conditions apply. Hello and welcome to the Football Grad Podcast. I'm your host, Manu Ref. No results this week. We're in the long winter break. So I'm going to jump right in and introduce today's guests. Well, joining me as always, just across the water. Tim, how are you doing? Good morning, Manu. It's, I'm doing fairly super energetic because I have a, such a nice uh, sleep right, right last night. I am getting ready to leave uh, to Russia in a few days uh, for New Year's and I'm just finishing lots of stuff at work. So it has been busy, but I'm excited to talk about because we have a very interesting topic and a very charismatic guest today. Yes, we do. And before I go introduce him, I want to talk, uh, I'm going to bring in Andrew Flint, uh, as always, from Siberia. Andrew, there was some confusion. Um, I know Tim Tim got a, got a message saying he's that he did one of our listeners is confused that the English guy lives in Siberia and the Russian guy in Canada. Um, yeah, that's, that's my takeaway from last week. Yeah, pretty much. Um, I'm still questioning myself quite why I first came out here, but I did. Um, and fortunately I did because now I follow the, the greatest league in the world, um, the Fennel. So yeah, um, it's all good here, but it's, I will be back in England in a few days time. So, uh, different times all together, but yeah, it's good to be back on. Yeah, always good to have you. And the next guest who I want to introduce, and um, of course, he has been on the show before, um, has been a contributor for the football to the football Run network pretty much from day one. Saul Pope, um, Saul, I'm always a bit sad that you don't come on more often, but even more excited when you do manage to actually come on. How are you doing? Oh, well, thank you very much. That's a lovely introduction. Um, and well, you call me charismatic, but perhaps I'm the most boring in the sense that I'm an Englishman living in England compared to all of you. So not exactly that different, but I'm, I'm fine. Thank you. Yeah. I've, um, you know, here living in England, I was away at, um, Gillingham football club at the weekend. If anyone knows that in league one following Wickham Wanderers where I live, got heavily, heavily rained on one of the few open stands left in, in that league, certainly, but just about recovered from that. And it's a lovely sunny day today, no rain at least. You know, Saul, that's just so classic English. Yeah. We're, we're in three <laughs> minutes into the podcast and we're already talking about the weather. I love it. And <laughs> <laughs> um, League One. And League and- One. Yes. <laughs> Good stuff. Well, um, 
let's stay in England for a, for a short moment here. Uh, Andrew, this is a special request by you. Um, your favorite manager of all time, sacked. It's no longer there. Um, uh, gone, uh, gone are the days of Jose Mourinho. I, 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 I heard he's going to join Raul. Um, isn't that going to make <laughs> things worse for you? Well, no, it'll give me a chance to abuse him at more close quarters. So um, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go against that. But to be quite honest with you, I think he'd have a very tough job ousting um, Dimitri Parfionov from the role. So he can come out here if he wants, um, but I'm not entirely sure that I'll actually need him. So, oh God, it's a good day. So I'm glad you brought that up because everybody I've spoken to since the beautiful, brilliant, wonderful news yesterday. I've just had to ask them all about it. Even the hairdresser today, I said, what do you think of Mourinho? And she just laughed because she had no idea what I was on about. But anyway, the point is, he's gone. Even if he comes to your casting but I don't care because he's gone. Wait, you went to the hairdresser? <laughs> oh, don't worry. The beard is still there. I, I, I'm going home, you see. My mother won't let me in the front door if I don't look presentable, so I had to cut my hair before I fly home. Um, that's, that's goes against my principles, but it's all right. But, I mean, Ural seems to be really keen. I mean, they even posted a, a, a picture on Twitter of their beautiful team bus. It is a nice bus. It is a very nice bus. Um, but, you know, we all know that Jose Mourinho has a, a slightly difficult relationship with transport. Um And uh, I don't think he'll be wanting to get off the bus to walk to the stadium if he came to Yekaterinburg, but he won't need to because um, not many people bother driving to the stadium on match day in Yekaterinburg. But anyway, if he comes, then that's his problem. And then he would probably park that very bus in front of Gore. Um, <laughs> had to had to put that in there. Tim, Jose Mourinho is sacked, but we're not an English podcast, so we're, that's that's it. Um, that's all we're going to chat about. <laughs> um, but Andrea Chavin is retired. Um, some people may say, wait a second, hasn't he retired about 10 years ago? It does feel an eternity that he has um, gone off into the sunset to play in Kazakhstan. But yeah, he's officially retired. What, what do you make of this news? Yeah, he played for the past few years in Kazakhstan in a team called Kairat, which uh, obviously has a significant financial resource because they were able to afford Andrea Shavin. Um, he still was one of the best players in the Kazakhstan league. He was uh, he was playing well. He he definitely was the biggest star of the league, but he hang up the boots this season. Uh, the he, Kairat played a friendly match with Zenit, which was kind of like a, not a farewell farewell game, but it was a game of celebration of uh, his talent. And uh, he finished, he got um, a job in, in Zenit structure. He will be uh, curating one of those, you know, training camps for kids, which they have pretty much every big uh, club has. He will be involved with that. Uh, but uh, yesterday is also some big news broke that he was, um, he is kind of following the steps of uh, Mamaev, Kakorian and Glushakov, and he had also a very interesting night in Moscow where apparently or allegedly he was uh, hanging out at the strip club and after that he um, took a few girls and kissed them and he also was riding horses uh, and uh, when he was asked to pay uh, to, to, to get paid for, for this um, very interesting entertainment he declined so 
interesting. So here, there we might have another story. It's crazy what's happening to Russian players because there's uh, so many crazy, uh, absolutely insane stories uh, happening about around the players. But uh, the fact is the fact that Andrea Shavin probably. Uh, the most talented player of um, this generation of players um, finished playing. And um, yeah, we just can remember his genius uh, moves in Euro 2008, where he was the biggest star of the Russian national team and for the Russian national team uh, achieved the biggest, um, the biggest result in the new history of Russia. So he is definitely a player to be remembered. And he is the player, he is the only Russian player who, let's say, succeeded and i use this word carefully in the big european club that would be arsenal um yeah so it's a definitely uh, an important uh, move even he was kind of off the radar playing in kazakhstan but now he's officially done and obviously he was a very important player and um good good thing for good uh thank thanks him thanks to him for his memories um saul i feel like i have to go to you as well on this one he yeah. played 352 games in all competition for Zenit, scored 74 goals and 99 assists. Um, is is it too early to call him a Senate legend or is that pretty much fit, fitting? No, I think he is absolutely a legend. And, and legend is it's not just about the statistics, is it, and the great performances. It is about so there's something about the character as well. You know, for, for any club, I think when you, you have a legend, and I think Arshavin fits that as well. Perhaps he's kind of signing off last night, if you want to call it that. Um, kind of puts it all in a nutshell. Certainly one of the, the strangest stories that I've, um, well, I don't know, maybe not in recent memory in Russian football. I, uh, I read that story really first thing this morning when I'd just woken up, and I did wonder if I was still dreaming, reading about Arshavin getting on horses at night time and not paying for it. But uh Kind of feels very apt and very typical of the stuff we're seeing at the moment. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, it is. It is a little bit of an interesting story. Um, getting on horses and not paying for it in the middle of the night. I, it, it's winter time in Moscow. Where would you even find those horses? I, I, I'm a bit baffled um, by by everything um, that's going on with that. Um, Andrew, Tim mentioned his time in England, Arsenal. You know, 145 games in all competitions there, 31 goals scored, 46 assists. Um, there were some amazing goals scored as well. Uh, what do you think his English legacy is going to be like? Well, I mean, unfortunately, I don't mean to be the one to put it down, but his English legacy will not be will not be very good because he'll be mostly remembered um, for just tailing off and having the attitude of coming across as not desperately motivated towards the end of his Arsenal time. But like you mentioned, he was so in demand. I remember that summer, 2008, and it was very seemed very likely to move to Barcelona. And it was a year later, I think it was, he, he ended up um, in January. So it was the next year he ended up at Arsenal. And he was he was explosive to start with. Um, everybody in England remembers his four goals away against Liverpool. And any time anybody scores against Liverpool, it's fantastic. But um, when it's a Russian and a Russian legend, and I do 100% agree with Saul. I think it is a completely legitimate to call him a legend um, for Zanit. Uh, but unfortunately, his time did tail off. We can't we can't completely gloss over that. Um, it was it was a shame because he he's the in my view the most talented Russian player in the last 15 20 years, arguably. And it, it could have been 
it could have been a stronger legacy for Russians moving abroad. Um, but nevertheless, he did make that move at a time when it was very, very unlikely, very unpopular for, for any Russians, really, um, to move. But he did. And at least he did make have some success. Yeah, I remember that winter. I think Arsenal had to um, get a special request because it was snowing in London. And uh, snow in England is not two things that go well together. So they had to, um, I think they had to get a special request from the FA to get the transfer across the line one day late. Um, so that was, that's, that was what I vividly remember from that particular transfer. Almost 10 years, more, 10 years ago. Um, incredible. Um, almost 10 years ago. Uh, guys, Tim, um, news is that Belarusians no longer are classed as foreigners. Um, that's an interesting one because even Russian citizens in the past, if they did not play, if they were not eligible to play for the Russian national team, were considered foreigners in, in the Russian Premier League, right? Um, how come we're getting that move now? And isn't that kind of contradictory to the whole um, getting youth players into the system um, better? I don't know. It probably has to do. I don't know where it's actually coming from, but I think it is probably has to do something with uh, political because, yeah, the um, Belarus is probably the closest country um, to Russia right now. Uh, but I don't think that changes a big deal because we don't have that many of Belarus players in in Russia. Um, yeah, I can't really name like a to like a few players who are like a big, big, big players in in the. In the in the Russian Premier League, so I don't think it really uh, changes the situation that much because Karnilenko, um, that's the only player who really comes on 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 my mind, who maybe, but you know, clearly Sevilla they don't have such a big issue with having too many um, too many foreign players. Usually, the, the this rule. You know the 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 issue of the foreigners, the the number of foreigners of the field, because um, you have a, you need to have uh, six players on the field. Uh, then uh, it's also also usually with the uh, top clubs, uh, clubs like Zenit, Spartak, Lokomotiv, uh, clubs which have lots of um, very strong foreign players. But the clubs at the um, lower um, end of the table they don't have that issue, and usually the Belarus players they usually play in the in the um, in the lower lower tier of the of the of the table so to be quite honest i don't think that's such a big deal but it's interesting i, I don't know it's probably has to do i don't know where it's coming from it probably has to do something with politics you might not good with politics so you probably have yeah. a better understanding I, I i personally find this one very very weird um because i mean we had Eremenko, for example right who was i believe is a russian citizen but a place for finland so he was classified as a foreigner so um all of a sudden, Belarusians are are not considered foreigners anymore. Saul, what what do you make of this? It, it is an odd one, isn't it? It certainly is. Yeah, and I hadn't actually thought of that point until you just mentioned it there. Yeah, you'll have Russian citizens potentially who are actually classed as foreigners, but a Belarusian who's maybe never set foot in Belarus, in Russia, sorry, not. I mean, I think I think the impact certainly. Yeah, you're right. I think the impact on the top sides at the moment will be negligible unless we suddenly get a, a golden generation of Belarusian footballers. You never. Know. <laughs> oh, 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 I was being totally serious. You never know. But um, he said probably actually the the impact might be felt further down in the FNL or or even lower than that because they'll now be able to have more of those players and without any disrespect, that's probably going to be the level of a lot of the players. 
Yeah, yeah it's, it, I, I personally, I, I don't see it. Andrew, what are your thoughts on this? I mean, it does open up the Belarusian market, right? If you're the Belarusian national team head coach, you probably like this one. Well, yeah, I think I think it will be like Saul mentions. It won't affect the top clubs, um, just like we've already said. For the the quality is not really there for top level clubs, but it's um, it. I don't know. The it may might see a few more Belarusians come through. Um, who knows? I I don't think it's going to make a huge difference. But it, I agree with you, Manu, what you mentioned about it not making a hundred percent load of sense given the whole attitude towards having a very strict limit on foreigners with that aim that you, you highlighted of bringing in the youngsters. Um, I'm not entirely sure it was desperately necessary. If there was a, a large influx of Belarus, Belarusian players, then yeah, you would understand it more. Uh, in the Fenel, there there are some, but not very many. Um, so maybe we'll see a few more. Um, it, it may well help out the uh, the Belarusian national team if it if it's a quick and easy route to get their players into a slightly bigger league. Yeah, I, I think so. I think Tim is quite right. I think it's probably political. Um, you know, big brother helping out little brother. Well, we'll keep an eye on this. Uh, it will be interesting to see how that will affect the winter transfer market because I think it probably will. Um, and then if you remember in, in Belarus, that's a big one because they're still on the old, uh, as I call it, Soviet uh, league calendar, right? That goes from March to November. The, the season there is over and, um, clubs like Barta, for example, have pretty good youth development. Um, they, that could be an outlet for them to, to sell players to, um, their big neighbors. Um, speaking of selling and transferring players, Tim, um, your club, Spartak, has made the first big move. Ayrton, Ayrton Lucas, I hope I pronounced that right, Brazilian um, left back from Fluminense. Um, I was able to speak to a couple of journalists uh, in Brazil about him. We were, we were pretty positive about him, considering him a talented wing back, a typical Brazilian wing back, who was okay at defense, very good at attack. Um, what do you make of this particular transfer? Um, for me, when I researched this, I thought this probably will bring in a bit of a formation change because he's he's probably more suitable to a 3-5-2 system rather than a 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3 system. Yeah, I know. Look, I, I'd never heard of this player before until he they, they started talking rumors about him uh, joining Spartak a few weeks ago. And uh, pretty much all my knowledge is based on the on your article, which you wrote for Footballgrad and the article which was written on the website called ProSM. Uh, which is obviously a Spartak Moscow focused website. So based on those two articles, I understand that he is a very, very good going forward. He has a crazy number of uh, dribbles, uh, even just for attacking player, let alone for a left back. Uh, but he, like you mentioned, he has issues, um, you know, tactically and going back. And even when Alek Kononov, the coach of Spartak Moscow, was asked uh, about that, he said, yes, I, I, I watched him a lot of his games and I really like how he goes forward. But I, I understand and I realize that I would have to do quite a bit of work um, in terms of just uh, t- tactical education and just making sure that he tracks backs uh, and uh, and that. Um, you're absolutely right. In Fluminense, he played in a 3-5-2 formation. So he was um, pretty much more of an attacking uh, left back. 
uh, Spartak rarely plays the system. We played that system a few times under Massimo Carrera, but uh, mainly we play with four defenders. So obviously that gives him a little bit more of defensive work. And uh, given his potential um, tactical, um, you know, some 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 additional education needed, maybe that's that represents um, a bit of a danger. But at the same time. Uh, he is a young player, uh, talented. So potentially he has he has he has a good good career, and he's and he, he might be a, a you know a good purchase. But again, he definitely needs work. Um, th- that's also interesting because um, who who we have we obviously Spartak Spartak has a left back right now. It's Dmitry Kafarov, who has been uh, in a team forever, and he is a very experienced player. Uh, he is also a well-respected best player of uh, Denis Gushakov, or sorry, best friend of Denis Gushakov. So um, kind of th- that puts a question on his role in the team. And also we keep in mind that obviously, uh, speaking of the foreigner rules, uh, obviously Brazilian player is a foreigner. And um, generally speaking, um, the general rule of thumb that um, the... Uh, the, the right backs and left backs are generally Russian uh, citizens in, in, in most of the clubs. And uh, so that kind of gives a little bit of question if he will fit in just in the, not only from the football perspective, but also from his um, nationality perspective, just in terms of the foreign rules. Um, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, interesting what he says, but uh, uh, very rarely for Spartak when, when the transfer is done without any rumors. Uh, lots of talkings and lots of agents are throwing their uh, 18 cents into this whole uh, conversation. This transfer was surprisingly done very, very quietly, very, very quick. And uh, pretty much the rumors just appeared and then it was announced that he was uh, the new player and the contract was signed. So that's interesting. We'll take a look. But um, but yeah, it's it's an interesting purchase. But we'll, so we have to see because he definitely needs to get assimilated in Russia and get used to the system and um, get join the team. Yeah, I have two things that, that um, I noticed when I wrote this article, when I researched this article. Um, Dmitry Kombarov, his pass completion rate is very good for a left back. Um, he plays pretty much as a center back. 80.1% pass completion is very good on that position. Um, he has 82.32 actions per game, um, of which he completes 68%. That's, that's a lot higher than what my Melgarejo has. And, um, of course, he's not flashy. He's only 2.73 triples. Um, Top of my head, Ayrton Lucas was 7.41 triples per game. It's not a lot. So he's, he's really just almost like a, a center back, really. And that makes me think maybe if, if he goes 3-5-2 or the 5-3-2 formation or the flexible formation, right, where you switch between the two, Kambarov could almost play as a center back in some ways, right? Especially with those numbers. Um, so maybe that is, that is something that Kononov has in mind. He, he's going to go with a more with like that typical three five two like we see a lot in Russian football and maybe make that switch that way. Um so Tim, that's one possibility I see there. But um overall these are not the only news out of Spartak because there was also an uh general's staff meeting, um as we called it before before going on to this part. Um anything interesting coming out of that or do you think that this is also maybe something where additional signings were discussed? 
Yeah, the, there was a general meeting. All the coaches of all the teams uh, came to the Lukoil uh, um, headquarters and they had a meeting with, um, obviously, Melanit Fidum, um, Naili Zmailov, who is the vice president, and Sergei Radionov, who is the director of the club. Uh, the results were absolutely baffling in the, in the you know, in the Spartak Moscow fans um community the results are just absolutely were taken so uh so negatively because um the main uh, well there was a lot of blame uh, going against uh, the management of the club because there were so many decisions which uh, the fans don't understand don't approve obviously the firing of massimo carrera um sit- situation with uh, Denis Glushakov because the fans obviously don't approve his his behavior there's so many negativity around the decisions of the management and the fans were hoping for some kind of uh, managerial changes managerial changes came but they came in just absolutely insane way uh Nain Lismailov, who is the vice president of the club he was given not only vice president role but he was also given the the director the director of the club role and he has been the probably the most criticized manager in the past i would say 10 years since we had uh, sergey shavlo and maybe 20 years ago when we had andrei chervichenko who is the notoriously just a crazy uh, manager we had uh, nailis my love has been criticized for so many things and uh, has no absolutely no connection with the fans and in the result of this uh, meeting he gets another role and pretty much becomes the the controlling person in the club that didn't go well at all with the fans and then uh, sergey radionov who is the Spartak legend? Who is the he was who played for team his whole career? He's, he worked uh, in the club for his whole career. He stepped down from the director role and he uh, was given a sporting director role. That role uh, didn't exist in Spartak in the past couple of years. Uh, and even Raul Rianche, who was briefly the, um, the caretaker coach of Spartak, he said. I had no one to speak to when I needed a left back. So there was no, nobody was really, there was no position of the sporting director. So this meeting happened, but really the results just were taken so negatively in the, for, by the fans. Um, it just really shows that the club is in complete mess. It's, it's unbelievable how a champion winning side, uh, which was really impressive and made it uh, win the first trophy uh, is so now the club is so now destroyed in just two years by management decisions and it's just it's it's unbelievable to see so that meeting happened uh, but the results are just absolutely insane oh well, good old Spartak um, same as exactly. always I, I know Saul <laughs> I know Saul is going to be happy to hear all of this um but Tim, don't worry. We're going to put him on spot now, right? I mean, that's why we have him here. Um, we had a special request on Twitter. We were, we were, we were supposed to do more stuff on Senate. So, uh, Saul. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, 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 the title of this entire show will be the big Senate show. So, uh, we, we are, we're pretty much ready now to bombard you with a whole bunch of questions on the league leaders for now, league leaders for now, because we all know someone else will win the title. Uh, I don't want to go into too many specifics. Andrew knows what I'm talking about. Um, but. So you oh, go... Moscow, yeah, yeah. I, 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 what? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's that's who Slutsky has said is the title favourite. He thinks that CSK are going to win, going 
going to win the league with absolutely no hint of bias at all from the former CSK Moscow manager. Well, it's not the craziest thing I've heard. No, I, it's the fight. Don't be in the fight. <laughs> well, someone will have to put up a fight. Um, but yeah, we, 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 I guess we get to talk about CSK just a, a little bit. Uh, Saul, you wrote this article for footballcraft.com and um, it was an end-of-term report. It was, yeah, absolutely. Well, a, a former teacher, so old habits die hard. And I was, well, before I, um, before the kind of final couple of games, which Zenit lost, I was, I was going for a B plus as an overall grade, but I downgraded things to B in the end. Mm. Um, and I'm really grateful, actually, for the first time ever watching Russian football, I'm really grateful for a long winter break. Cause I think had the season carried on for another three weeks, Zenit would have been second, possibly, if not third, actually, because the form has really dipped sharply and it is quite worrying. Yeah, let's go through it um, by, by the different individual. Or you had like five, uh, sorry, um, six different categories yeah. that you based your grading on. Let's go through the first one, the overall league European performance. Here you gave it a B plus, And I guess if you're league leaders by the winter break, um, we've discussed the... The first half of the season in depth, the impact of the World Cup, Artem Suba being very exhausted, but yet you still give it a B plus. I guess you kind of have to considering first in yeah. the group and a first in the league, right? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the Europa League, you'd expect, you know, no disrespect to those opponents, but you'd expect Zeni to, to go through and get through quite comfortably. And in terms of league, yeah, they're in first place. If Zeni end up winning the league, and I really hope that they do, Kind of five, six years' time, we won't even be thinking about this. We'll just be saying, yeah, they, they, they did the job. They, they led in the winter break and they, they won it overall. And I think, you know, looking not forwards but backwards, if we'd, when Simak was appointed, if we'd said, well, you know what, you're going to get through the Europa League group really easily and you're going to be top of the league at the winter break, every fan would have taken that. They wouldn't have cared if it was by one point or, or ten points, whatever. They'd have taken that. So, yeah, we, we have to say that. They're doing very well on in that sense. Yeah. Um, Andrew, I'll bring you in. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I think so. Um, I think when you give an assessment of a team, the recent form obviously affects a lot of people's opinions. But over the course of the season so far, I think Saul's grade is, is spot on. Really because a B-plus, I would argue, is is effectively... What you would expect from a team, um, and Zanit, I did expect, I think we all expected them to be top by this stage, uh, and they are. Um, yes, the recent form is, has dropped off, so you know, slightly downgrading some of the other marks is, is understandable. I think with Zanit as well, um, it's there's almost a bit of extra pressure um, when you are that good, when you have a squad that big, and you have the resources that they have, that if you don't deliver to the absolute top of your game consistently, then there is more pressure. Some teams raise their game against you, uh, unless your name is Oralia Katzenberg, and then you just collapse. But um, let's brush over that briefly. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think we mentioned uh, a lot of times about the management of the squad. I think Semak is still learning how to how to rotate his squad to the best of the ability, or at least to get the best out of the players. He's done reasonably well, but could do better. And like says, that winter break is going to is going to be very valuable um, for him to just sit down, reassess, um, have their own staff meeting. I hope and 
And and yeah, once he learns how to manage the squad slightly better, only 13 games to go. Yes, Europa League on top of it, but um, it's a manageable bite-sized amount. And by then, players should be rested. Um, and it should be a very, very interesting end of the season, but it's closer than it ought to be. Speaking yeah. of management, Saul, um, I, I kind of want to get through the different categories that you gave here. And winter break is always a great, great time uh, for signings. But you only gave a B- minus for signings so far. Um, I mean, we had no signing at all until Claudio Machizo showed up, right? That's right. Yeah, and see, well, yeah, one, one signing. A lot of players brought back in. I mean, I guess that's where the new faces came from. There were people who'd been frozen out previously, like so Robert Mack, um, Neto as well. But yeah, a, a disappointing signing, really, Marchisio. I mean, I, I wonder whether he just just need more time to adapt. You know, regardless of his status and the money is on or whatever, he's basically a bloke who's, you know, lived in one place, worked in one place, you know, been, been involved in one place ever since he was a boy, basically. And then, you know, say for one season out on loan somewhere, he's not really been anywhere else. And then suddenly he moves to a totally different country, one presumably he wasn't very familiar with, and is expected to carry on doing the same job. And I think maybe sometimes we are a bit harsh on footballers and don't really just look at them as people uh, who some are going to adapt very well. I think back to um, when CSK signed Wagner Love, long, long way back, but he was, you know, adapted so, so quickly. On the other end of the scale, you get signings like Marchisio, who just doesn't seem to have done it yet. Having said that, he did look good. He came on in the last game of the season against Rubin. Then he lost, but they, they did look a lot sharper with him in midfield. So maybe it's just a bit of time that he needs. Yeah, I, I think that's fair. And I, I'm pretty sure Zenit will do something over the winter as well. Um, and that addresses the next thing. And Andrew kind of mentioned this squad management. Um, he <laughs> used that B. Um, why? So, um, I, it's a it's a tricky one, isn't it? And I will, I will be interested to hear what my external moderator Andrew thinks of my mark. Um, but I think there's definitely a need for some more players to come in. Absolutely, you know the defence. I'd say not uncharitably, it's, it's kind of all over the place, really. Um, we've kind of, he's kind of messed around with the tactics. You know, four at the back, then three at the back, and from what I can see, the main reason there's three at the back is because they haven't got four decent defenders to play. So we definitely need, you know, a new left back, a new right back. If Ivanovic leaves as well, which is a rumor, they need probably two, well, one and maybe two new centre backs because the others they've got, Mivlia and Neto, just don't look consistent enough. Not if you're going to go somewhere in the Europa. And you're going to try and win the league because I do seriously think that in the second half of the season, Krasnodar are looking strong and CSK have regenerated very quickly. You know, they, they looked in a mess themselves in the summer, but they've really kind of picked up. So I think there's there's some danger there. It's nice on one note to see that he's obviously thought, I'm not just going to splurge on a load of players. I'm going to bring back those guys who were at the club before and have been frozen out. And that's that's good to see in a way. There's been too much kind of carouseling at Zenit and kind of players in and out all the time. But maybe what we, we're realising now is that those players are just not quite up to the mark. So it's early days for him. He just needs a little bit more time maybe. But these next few weeks, he's going to be very busy, I think. It's going to be a busy time. 
Yeah, external auditor, Andrew, anything oh. to add to this? <laughs> well, yeah, I, a couple of criticisms I do have on, on how the squad has developed. Um, uh, Luis Neto, I have a, I don't know quite where it comes from, but it, I would describe it as a deep-founded hatred of him. Simply because how has he made a living as a footballer, I will never understand. Um, I do agree some change is needed, but... Uh, another criticism I have is with Nabulin. I can't really understand why he's been dropped for for so long. I understand younger players or ones who have not been in the club at the club for such a long time. Yeah, sometimes give them a break from the team, but bring them back in again. Nabulin surely was signed as the long term replacement for Zhirkov. Um I I think he's a very exciting player potentially, and he should be a reliable left back. Um, Sure enough, could be a backup in my view. Um, so when Saul mentioned need a left back, I think I'm not saying I disagree completely. I don't because a left back is needed. If they're not going to trust Nabulin, then they need to let him go because it's a waste of a good young talent there. Um, so that's that's disappointed me somewhat. Um, Marquisio has been for me a a disappointing signing because it seemed like well, there's a big name available, let's go get him, rather than do we actually need him? Because I think the central midfield is 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 arguably the com- most comfortable area of the squad. Paredes is just, he's been magnificent, by far the best player for me for Zani this season. Um, Hanani has been interesting coming back recently. He's looked a bit more a bit more sure of himself. Um, Kuzayev is just, uh, I, I'm a huge fan of Kuzayev. Uh, um should be able to be a squad player. Noboa will come back from injury. Um, so I'm not entirely sure where the, what the thinking was with Marquisio. I'm not, I mean, it's a bit harsh. And like Saul says, he does need time. But I, if he needs time, in a relatively short season fixture-wise, I, I don't see quite what the logic was. Um, but anyhow, there, there's, there's enough room for improvement there. But I do think some players need to be moved out and um, and replaced, if not in winter, certainly in the summer. You know, you know what, Andrew. Recently, I was playing football manager, and um, Maratis Milov became available on a free transfer. So I thought I'll just sign him. You know, this will be. Turns out he's rubbish in this particular game. So maybe maybe there's elements of that in there. You know, it's just kind of someone's available, as you say. Let's go for it. And, at the time, so I bet you were pretty happy, and I I was happy for the Russian league as well. You know, a big name coming in, it's always good for a boost of interest. And I thought he probably would do. I thought he would do better than he had. Um, I don't mean to be too harsh, but I did think he would do a bit better. Hence, I thought at the time it was a decent signing. But um, I I don't want to even imagine what his wages are like uh, on top of what is probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, wage bill oh. in the league. Um, so I I can't imagine he'll stay beyond summer, um, but I might be wrong. Who knows? He may well, come back after winter break even more energized. Well, hopefully, I, I think we we, we kind of want to move on to the next one, and uh, maybe this is a question. This is a question specifically to you, Saul, but I, I want maybe uh, Andrew and Tim to jump in on that as well. Um, of course, one way to address the needs in a squad could be youth development. Um, you gave a C minus. Um, Sinead spent a lot of money on the youth academies, but have not really brought in anyone in a long time through the youth ranks. Um, so I think 
that is maybe let's address the elephant in the room instead of signing some old guy from Italy. They, this would have been a good option, right? Well, I just see that, like you say, that they've got all these resources and they, they they spend a lot of money on youth, but that kind of there's a stepping stone there, isn't there? Zenit Dva hmm. sitting in in the in the Russian second tier, and they're not going to be able to spend loads and loads of money on transfers, financial fair play. But here's another means of, of getting there, then, isn't it? And we can see that Krasnodar have certainly done that to good effect. Spartak doing it reasonably well as well. But if Zenit just focused on having a really good and spent resource on a really good management team at that level and really focused on, on channeling players and preparing them for the first team rather than what it feels like at the moment, just kind of paying it lip service, that could be a route to, to getting some of these players in there. I'm, I made the point in the article that Harshavin, who we talked about earlier, was a late developer. You know, he was well into his 20s, really, before he really shone. Kazakov as well, a club legend, didn't score for, I think it was 10 or 12 games, but they persevered with him. And another, you know, maybe less illustrious, but still, I'd, I'd argue a legend, Alexander Panov as well, had a, had a addiction issues when he was a young player. They, they sent him off to China. He rehabilitated, came back, played for Russia, moved to France, even played for Saint-Étienne in France. So sometimes people just need a, a bit more time, don't they? And, and the way things are at the moment, they're not getting that time. If you're not ready when you're 18, and this is probably true of a lot of clubs, actually, if you're not ready when you're 18, you don't read, there's no second chance. And that's really harsh, I think. And it's, it's also just a, a missed opportunity. Yeah, Tim, um, this is something that we've criticised in the past, right? The, the amount of money spent by this club and um, not very many youth players coming through the ranks. Well, I would say none, because I, I was thinking, I was listening to Saul, and I couldn't really remember. I think really, like, uh, Kizhakov Arshavin and that generation of players, maybe Ionov, who was the last player who actually played a significant role in Zenit squad, there was all those all those players, um, young players would appear in the squad for... Um, half a year, maybe season, and then they leave on loan and then they make their careers elsewhere. Because, like, for example, uh, I think Ilyin is a product of Zenit Academy, who is now the superstar at um, Andrews Timural, correct? He's, a, he's, he, he's from Zenit, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, he, he's been a, a, a good a good example. But, um, I mean, Tim, have you, Tim, how many youngsters have you seen come through that you can honestly off the top of your head say have established themselves since you're not there no no zero uh they uh absolutely yeah, not, nobody um, well i wouldn't count mikhail kirjakov who is like the third goalie right now probably that doesn't count um i, I don't know i don't know anyone so maybe i'm missing out because i don't, I don't... Uh... You, you're right. It's that it's that Bustrov, Malafeev, Kajakov, Sorry, that was that last generation that really came through, and then Yonov after that, and that has been it. It's a real shame. Yeah, I think they spend about twenty million euros a year on their youth academy. Well, yeah. Hold on. Did you just say twenty million euros? Yeah, a I, re year? I remember doing an article on this a while ago, and I think it was close to twenty million a year. Yeah. Is, um, okay, I just want to butt in there a bit. A minute. They are rock bottom of the Fennel. My club have a budget of about one-sixth of that, and we run an academy as well. We have the regional centre of excellence here, um, and uh, Tim's team have benefited greatly by <laughs> by signing um, possibly one of the, well, generally one of the best youth products we've had in, in, uh, in quite some time in Pavel Maslov. Um, 
but uh, and Shakuro's come through. Um, yeah. Oh, God! Oh, that just upsets me. If they gave that money to Chumad, we would have we would be in the Premier League. Sorry, right now. it was actually six point six million, but that's still a lot of money. A lot, that's, yeah. I'll take six million. Give that to me, and I'll I'll use it for Chumad. <laughs> that, that, that that was the, I just I had to really quickly look up that article that I wrote. That's more than Ajax, Inter, Bayern. Well, although Bayern is probably outdated, and it's just less than Barcelona. <laughs> oh. um, I'm very very angry right now. I am very angry. Yeah. Um, just saying. I mean, they do spend quite... Even, I mean, even if it's not 20, but 6 million euros. That's a lot of money for, for youth development. And this number's from 2016 too, so it's probably more now. Um, and the results aren't great. So a C-. minus. Saul, I actually think maybe you were kind. <laughs> well, yeah. 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 Yes, maybe I was given the league position, and yeah, it just for me, it's just channel a bit more of that money into Zinedine. Use that as a stepping stone, which you know Krasnodar clearly are doing with Krasnodar, and it's it's working well. That's all they need to do, and I don't know why they don't want to do it. But then I don't know, maybe there's something I'm just missing, something obvious. Yeah, um, like not playing the kids. Um, I I think that's always I I think Krasnodar do it very well. Tim, your club Spartak has done a good job with it this season. Um, with anything else that's been going on, that is at least something they have done well. Um, you know, bringing in young, young players and actually giving them a chance, even in difficult situations. And, um, you know, we wonder why there's a Sabolotny, um, stumbling around in front for Sinead and Suba, um, being played, even though he's absolutely exhausted. Why not just throw in a young player and give him a chance? Um, if you spend that kind of money, it's, it's kind of mind boggling that they don't, but, uh, maybe that is an issue of tactics, Saul. And here, um, here you gave a B minus. Um, is that just a matter of Sergei Semak? He's a forty-two-year-old, still learning his trade a little bit. Yeah, I think so. I think you know, I, I pointed out that um, there was an article I read in, in the Russian press where he'd made far fewer impactful substitutions compared to his, you know, the, those guys at um, Krasnodar or CSKA. So I think it is a matter of experience. The other thing that fans have been questioning is the fiddling around with the tactics. So the 4-4-2, you know, start of the season seemed to work pretty well. And then we switched to the, the 3-5-2. I wonder over that in part of it's just him not quite understanding what his, what his best 11 is, but also being concerned about the defence, trying to well, maybe fewer defenders, <laughs> kind of is a way of mitigating that. But I think if that's going to work, they certainly need better wingers, they need proper good out-and-out wingers. Shatov's not looking there at the moment. Robert Max, he's, he's decent, isn't he? But if, you, if they're going to go all the way and, and win the league and be the best team in Russia again, he's not probably not at that level. So I think tactically, yeah, he's 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 still learning basically. So you can be a bit lenient on him here, I think. And he's he strikes me as a kind of guy who will want to learn and will look at what other people are doing, and that will improve, I hope. Yeah, I think also if you if you compare him to Goncharenko, um, that is probably the best. He Goncharenko, in my opinion, is the best coach working in Russia at the moment. And mm. You you see that with what he's getting out of this CSKA side. Is is quite remarkable. So I think that's a hard, it's really difficult comparison. And I bet you any club in Russia would probably want Goncharenko as their head coach. So, um, and, and I think that's I just a, 
Hmm? Sorry? I still, I, st I still miss him very badly. Well, I bet, because he's a very, very good coach. Uh, I mean, we get to talk about uh, CSKA in a moment and the Europe, European performances that were some, at times disappointing, but at times were just magnificent, right? And I think when you look at the, what, what they have done overall with the squad, it's, it just shows that he's getting a lot out of a team that isn't really that good at the moment. So I think that's a harsh comparison. And the same can be said about uh, Moraev at Krasnodar. Uh, I think he's getting a lot more out of his squad too. Um, Saul, overall great then, uh, for this, for this Sinit side. And again, they're first in the league, uh, one point ahead of, of Krasnodar going into the very, very long winter break, four points ahead of CSKA. Um, what's your grade at the moment for them? Yeah, I don't know. I think you have to go for a... I don't know, am I being too kind saying B+. Plus? Maybe I'll, I'll have a word with the external moderator. Um, but it's, it's B+, plus or a B, isn't it? Yeah, as you say, at the end of the day, they're top of the league. And if they win the league, people will forget, including me, will forget all about all of this stuff. Maybe Marquisio will come through. Maybe something will happen with youth development. Maybe it won't. But actually, if they win the league, people will forget all about it. So I'm, I'm happy, but I'm slightly cautious because, yeah, the second half of the, the, the half of the season was so poor. First half was brilliant. They need a few new signings, you know. And if Kakorin's going to remain banged up, that includes someone up front as well because I think Zabalotny's just not cutting the mustard at all. He's not that level. So overall, I'm happy. And I guess just in conclusion, the thing I'm probably the happiest about is that actually it's made the season look interesting again. It was looking a bit boring at the start, Zenit just, you know, winning every against everybody and, and getting way ahead. Now there's some intrigue left, isn't there, going into um, the, the winter break and afterwards. So if nothing else, at least the season's going to be more interesting to watch. Yeah, so Tim, would you, what would you give Zenit's season? I mean, they are first. And maybe it's just a little bit of an... You know, it's always the last impression that sticks, isn't it? You know, actually, I agree with Saul with everything what he said in terms of, um, yeah, if they win the league, nobody really remembered about this little bit uh, deep in form which they had. But um, they, I'm just looking at the at the top of the table. It's so uh, tight there, and um, Krasnodar and Sky really have been good this season, and. Um, Given that CSKA um, won't have the Europe in the um, in the next uh, part of the season, plus that um, you know they will spend quite a good preseason just working again because the young team at CSKA needs that more than anyone just to gel. And like we said, Gajirenga uh, has been doing a phenomenal job there. He will have time to spend. I'm really excited for the um, for the for the trophy race because really it's so tight um, on the top of the table. All the teams have to play each other, so I think the deal is not done. I think that uh, that one point that Zenit is ahead doesn't mean anything at this point of of the season. Um, of course, they're first, and I think they I think I agree with that um, mark of uh, somewhere around B because they definitely first in the league. They made it to the Europe, so they pretty much on track. But at the same time. Um, um, they pretty much head to head with uh, Krasnodar and just a little bit ahead of CSKA with, uh, they still have a game to play between each other. So I think it will be, I think it will be an interesting season between those three teams and, um, we'll see. But I, I wouldn't say that Zenit 
easily will win the league right now. Um, I think it will be. I think it will be. We we have a, a very interesting um, trophy race ahead of us. So that's that's. I agree with Sal that it just becomes really interesting and uh, intrigue, and um, we'll see. We'll see how it finishes up. Yeah, I I I don't I can't say that uh, Zenit is solid. Hundred percent will be champion. Andrew, uh, your thoughts on this final audit on on Zenit? That's the external moderator. Yes, I think uh, I think it'd be just a, a regular B for me. Um, the thing the thing is, like I mentioned at the, the beginning of this section, is a lot of people's opinions will be slightly coloured by the last run of form. You know, the three defeats in the last four games, I think it was, in the league. Um, actually, one little thing Saul mentioned about uh, Zabalotny. I think there's there's another example of where Semak has gone slightly wrong because he's not ever going to be a top-line starting striker. But I honestly do think he's not been used enough, actually. Um, I don't think he's ever going to score a lot, but he can do a good job as cover for Zuba to give him a rest. Not necessarily, you know, just in the games where it's very comfortable for Zanid. He will work hard. He won't score a lot, but he'll work hard and give other players around him an opportunity to come get further up the pitch. And I think that's that was a small opportunity missed. Um, but, like you say, it is outweighed just about by Zanid's place in the squad. They will have a very nice few weather training camps, I'm sure. And, um, uh, and, Yeah, and then they've got the uh, just a short running. I think they probably, it's very hard to say here, but I think they are probably just, just my very narrow favourites for the title, but only just. Lovely. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I think that's that's a good that's a good point to wrap it all up, guys. Um, the the great Senate show, as I, as I said, um, going into this. Um, so. Would you agree yeah. with Andrew there? Say this is Sinit, it's still Sinit's title to lose? You know what? It's, it's going to so much depend on the first two matches, isn't it? If Zenit win them both and Krasnodar don't get all six points, then yes. But if Zenit lose or draw two of them and Krasnodar win two, suddenly it's a totally different story, isn't it? And it's really hard to say at the moment. But yeah, no, I think the, the point around Zabalotny was a, is a good one there. And that's maybe where if they get a decent winger or two wingers in, he'll get a better service. We might see him getting a few more goals, actually. Because, you know, in, in other ways, I think, other than being a target, he's not that effective. But, yeah, I, I would still say they're top of the league, aren't they? And they've got a big budget. I'd still say they're narrow favourites to win it. Excellent stuff. So, yeah, boys, that does it for this week. So, thanks so much for coming on. Um, where can people find you? What do you have to pluck? Well, what do I have to plug? That's a, that's a good question. Not a lot, really. Um, I was in When Saturday Comes magazine last month. You might still be able to pick up a copy of that. I was writing, actually, about the FNL, Football National League. And I, I had, had a bit in there about Kuban Krasnodar as well and the demise of Dinamo St. Petersburg. Sadly, I had to mention the team from Sochi in the article, <laughs> which was a bit of a shame. And I had to name them by name, really, because When Saturday Comes readers won't be familiar with, with the whole backstory. But yeah, you might still, Andrew, you never know if you're coming back to England, you might still be able to pick up the December when Saturday comes. Um, but that's really it from me. I'll, I hope I'll be on again soon, though. Oh, absolutely. We always want you back, Sol. Um, speaking of Andrew, Andrew, what do you have to pluck? What's what's going on in your life? 
Well, yeah, I'm I'm still um, editing analysis magazines each month for TotalFootballAnalysis.com. Head to the website, you'll find a link there. Um, and other than that, it's, uh, well, nothing else to plug, really. That's the main thing. Um, and we've got a bit of a break from the previews on, on football. But I am going to take a bit of a break. I'm going home for a holiday with my family, so not so much to plug this time, but um, TotalFootballAnalysis.com analysis magazine it is generally i've been really blown away by it so if you like analysis or even if you're not sure have a look and it will change your mind hmm. good stuff tim how about you i know you're going home yes i'm going i'm going to visit russia going for the new years and uh, very very excited so hopefully um, that will be exciting but um uh, our regular listener gabe he asked to Uh, do an article um, uh, on two things which I'm passionate about, music and football, and he wanted to ask to have an an, an article on um, football songs uh, in, in the Russian culture. So I already started uh, populating a few um, songs for that, and maybe this article will come out sometime uh, during the winter break. But uh, if you're interested in what I have to say about Spartak Moscow, you can read on Twitter, Russian Team 61 on Twitter, and Rocket from Russia on Instagram. Yeah, fantastic stuff. I'm looking forward to that article, Tim. I'm, I'm really curious. Yeah, music and football. I know we had one um, during the World Cup, which just before the World Cup, where you had the 32 songs up from 32 countries. Um, so curious to see what you come up with this time. Um, I'm being your host, Manuel Weff. You can find me on Twitter at Manuel Weff. Um, the, the, of course, everything I do, almost everything I do is can be found on the Football Grad Network at Football Grad Live. But I've also recently started writing for Forbes magazine. I do the the business aspects of German football for them. So you can find that on Forbes.com. And um, yeah, if you're interested in anything at all about the MLS, I do that for at, for Pro Soccer USA. So you can find me on ProSoccerUSA.com as well. That was it for this week. And we're probably going to take a little bit of a Christmas break. So If you don't hear us before Christmas, Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to all of you. Until next time, Dos Vedania. We can get anything delivered from furniture to toilet paper. And now, adult beverages with Drizzly. Drizzly lets you compare prices from local liquor stores on a huge selection of beer, wine, and spirits, then get them delivered right to your door in under 60 minutes. And right now, Drizzly's giving all new customers $5 off their first order. Just enter promo code EASY5 at checkout. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y dot com. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.